He slept in his parents' bedroom until he was 13. He wet the bed until he was 14. He doesn't know how to ride a bike. Apparently, he has friends. Welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. Wexel. Welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. I'm Evan Wexel, and it's a podcast where I interview a different Facebook friend every episode. We are at Awkward with Evan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can get this podcast from awkwardwithevan.com and, of course, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now I've submitted it to Amazon Music. So the podcast is now there, and this is the first episode where you can see the entire video on the Socially Awkward Rumble channel. Uh, So I will explain. Um, And of course, to support, uh, go to patreon.com slash funnyevan. More on that later. So uh, I guess I am friends with a a second elected official, and I wanted to hold him off for a little bit, but I guess it just kind of happened where I was able to speak to him back in July uh, as some things were playing out. And uh, now I finally get to release it because I was working on a new song and promoting some other stuff. Uh, But Jeff Shipley is a rep, an elected official from the state of Iowa. And uh, I've had some fun shows, uh, particularly with Iowa State over the years. Never been to University of Iowa where he went, but uh, I kind of get into, you know, his origin story. He's from Illinois, went to University of Iowa, uh, I guess got into politics while he was in college and Somehow he got elected. I mean, he was he probably got elected when he was like 30 or early 30s to like the state house. So we go into and also he won his elections by like, you know, less than 50 votes, which is kind of insane for a whole district. It all comes down to just that. So we get into what transpired there. And of course, uh, one reason this is an episode that will be on the Rumble channel for video and not YouTube and not entirely on Facebook is because he talks a lot about medical freedom. We use the code word Vaseline uh, a lot, um, but I still am going to have to talk to uh, a lot of people where their information would probably get things censored or labeled and so on. So uh, I created a new Rumble channel uh, for full interviews. And I'm also working on how to make my video look better than just, you know, a zoom of going back and forth between the speaker. And I'm looking, I'm looking into that. I, I signed up for a class. Uh, so, uh, but Jeff Shipley, man, he, he went, he, he took on, you know, some of the legislators in California that were making life tough for families. And, uh, you know, he talks about what's going on in the era of COVID in Iowa and why, at the end, he went to why people should consider moving to Iowa. So really, really great, uh, appreciative of what he did. Um, he was extremely sleep deprived, uh, and he still did the interview with me. He told me up front. Um, so, you know, it's it's a little loopy in the beginning, but I mean, we kind of settle in and uh, he was nice enough to, to charge his phone during the interview to extend it. Um, but he sat down, gave me a lot of his time. Very appreciative. So now you guys get it. This is, this is full on un, uncut. Uh, Jeff Shipley. Oh my gosh. Socially awkward. With Evan Wexel. Yes, there's a microphone sometimes in front of me, but then I'm, uh, I was wondering what that, I thought it was it, a rain cloud coming in. No, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's the aura of California where I am right now, <laughs> but I have great news because this is my, let me make sure I'm not blown out on my sound. 
Check, 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 check. Okay, let's lower that. Good. All right, I'll start over. The Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. Yes, that's a microphone that will be appearing and reappearing like magic, like Fantasia. This is my second elected official. Uh, I don't know why, how I'm able to get a Facebook friend elected officials, but but I've, I've discovered this man probably over a year ago, and I think he was lucky enough to accept my request. And he is a state rep from the House of Representatives in the state of Iowa, Mr. Jeff Shipley. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic, Evan. Thanks for being with you tonight. And I really appreciate the invitation and uh, everything. All the interactions we've shared on social media have been very positive. So I appreciate that. Good. And it's good to know that you're a good reader. Well done on, <laughs> on advertising that. It's not like those are not a list of DVDs in the background. So, uh, right. Well, those are mostly for decoration, but we try to crack <laughs> open a book and, and, you know, it's good for the ambiance of the room, I suppose. No, I see that. Uh, definitely. Now, um, oh, your video. Oh, there you go. No, worries. yeah, I had a bad that battery thing comes up. I so I got 20% battery, so we can go in until Ooh, my phone battery dies. That, that's good. Okay, then we'll rapid fire. Um, now, did you are you a rep in the district you grew up in? Like, did you grow up in this part of Iowa? And no, so that's actually that's a really good question. Um, no, I grew up in Naperville, Illinois, and I've only been living in this area. I moved to Fairfield in 2011, so um, yeah, relatively new to the community considering. Like in Van Buren County, where I live now, you know, it's like um, I got a guy who's been living there for like 25 years and he still feels new to the community because everyone's been there for like five generations. So I'm a little bit um, of an outsider, but it was interesting uh, when I did do my family history and family tree. It actually does go back through southeast Iowa, very close to where I am now. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of people with my same last name that I guess we are distantly related in some way. So. So, so grew up in Illinois and then you went to university of Iowa, Yep. Gra- graduated, but then graduated to stay in Iowa. Basically. Or- so I, my problem growing up and I don't know if anyone else had this problem, but like I got in this like nihilistic kind of thing. Um, <laughs> well, cause like some of the political topics are so overwhelming and it makes you, so like when I was in college, I started learning about, you know, the monetary system, the federal, well, the first political issue I got that right. got me activated was the drug war. And um, that really just kind of really changed the way I saw all of society, because once I became more sympathetic to, say, marijuana or cannabis, like it really shattered my like the the illusion of trust that I had in basically every other government agency. So I got very kind of nihilistic and like overly skeptical. And at some point, I think I might have been one of those like you know, annoying friends who was too maybe politically obsessed and like wouldn't leave it alone. Like I remember I, like my friends would be trying to watch that. Um, like back in the day, it was like that show 24 with Jack Bauer right. saving the day. And like I, I couldn't enjoy that because like, oh, this is just blatant government propaganda. Like, how dare you guys watch this stuff? Like I was I kind of was that kind of like pain in the ass. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I, I forgot. So anyway, that was—I forgot the question. I forgot where the whole. Well, no, like, oh, I grew you, up in Illinois. You, you came back, then you graduated from Iowa, oh. and then yeah. So that was it. So I never really had the foresight to like plan out a career. So like, even when I was like a freshman attending school, like I remember being somewhat lackadaisical about even choosing my major or career path because like when I first got to college, I wanted to, you know, learn how to drink beer and stuff and watch football games. And so it wasn't until. And then by the time I was further on in my education, I was pretty deep in a lot of these political issues. And I felt like I kind of bought into that thing, like, oh, the world is ending in 2012. Like, right. I was like, oh, I can see that. Like, so <laughs> if the world's ending in 2012, why do I need to work hard today? Right. right. So 
Um, I kind of use that nihilism as an excuse to kind of not take things seriously, to not invest in like, you know, more tangible career path or even my financial future. So I kind of have been trying to clean up the mess that I made for myself um, by not making, you know, not taking some of those things more seriously. And I'm trying to figure out why that was. I don't know. I'm sure smoking too much pot has something to do with it, but um, right. anyway. But at least it's not as much as it, you, you know, so that's okay. Well, <laughs> you get a tolerant. So actually this was something when the pandemic hit, when the pandemic hit and we had just outlawed smokable hemp for some reason, and it was right. really sad. And like, yeah, I remember thinking like, oh, because I remember like, I felt like my drug addiction really like surging, like, oh, I need oh, wow. to get all this marijuana. Like, I'm like, I, am I'm stuck in my home and I need something right. to pass the time. So I was like, if I'm feeling this big anxiety over my drug substance abuse addiction, like, right. I was like, wow, I imagine what more legitimate alcoholics or meth heads or just all these people are feeling like. So yeah. now that we're seeing a lot of data come out that, yeah, substance abuse has been exacerbated by the pandemic response. Sure. Like, I remember feeling that in myself within the very first days. Mm-hmm. I think mostly just because I think at least my marijuana use, at least in my adult life, I think when I was younger, I was doing it mostly just to experiment and try to hang out with the cool kids. Right. Like, I think I was wanting to fit in and it was probably a social thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then later on as an adult, I think it was like how to find ways to relax, like the, these kind of be- behaviors or activities, like these little permission slips we do. Um, so I think it's just, you know, I've been d- distorting my nervous system and that I'm able to, you know, keep my cortisol low cause I'm yeah. relying on this thing, but I think there's other negative effects. So I don't know, I guess, but yeah, my, my, my substance abuse has been, um, we're still working on it. Okay, good. Well, it's all right. It's it's it's, it's a des- it's a destination, I guess. It's all about the journey. Uh, not yeah, the- precisely. Well, yeah. that's, well, that's the whole thing. Is like you say, okay, everything has a purpose, right? So if I like, that's what you got to figure out. What is the purpose for this? Why is my neurology wanting this? Why am I so right. attracted to it? Right. And then, well, this is true too, because I remember earlier on, like this concept of an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. um, like that. I was like, because I was being. I've done things that I've been ashamed of. Like I remember um, like my friends were gone and I, you know, just walked into their place to see if they had any dust in the grinder or whatever oh, or anything like, like, you know, like, so I've done like scummy things, right. right, and, right. Or, or like if, if someone had pot and I didn't, like I was like, you know, jealous or like whatever. Uh-huh. Like, so those, like all those negative feelings that you can have in a relationship among between people. Like I had that like jealousy and just wanting to control it and want you know, so that really, I think, yeah, my early 20s, I definitely had what I would consider to be an abusive relationship. Um, thankfully, we were able to we were able to consciously become aware of those patterns and then work your way through the shame. I think that's another thing too with, with addicts. Like there, you do these things that you feel this immense shame, mm-hmm. and then does that shame just drag you deeper down, or are you yeah. able to like, okay, that's who I was yesterday, but but today's a new day, and I'm not, I, you know, I'm choosing something else. I don't know. I'm not a psychotherapist, but we need more. We need more. We need more substance abuse strategies because uh, I don't think the substances are the problem as so much as like the social response and the way society just views our nervous systems as a whole. I guess. Right. And when? How did you? How did the, your political seeds? Did they like coincide with that, or were you already like in college? You were already kind of coming into those issues and like thinking it would actually be something you'd get more out of. Politically, kind like- of. So 
It was. So I, I, I did attend like the first political thing I did was the Republican caucus uh, in 2008 for Ron Paul in right, Iowa. That's how I first got into stuff because Ron Paul, I'd heard. And yeah. DePaul, oh, yeah. Yeah. I did a show DePaul and like some the fraternity guy in Indiana was like, yeah, there's a guy, Ron Paul. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then and that was such like a, and that's what's so crazy to think about, like my perspective on politics as a 19 year old. And like being so passionate about the candidate, but not knowing how to like engage in the political process. Right. So I talked to my same five friends nonstop about it, but I never <laughs> went out door knocking. Right. Um, and, and I mean, the campaign was a shoestring thing. So um, so I attended my first caucus and, and this is a big thing. I was so I attended the caucus, but I was going to go. I was playing rugby as a sophomore. Right. And it was right after spring break. We're about to start the rugby season for the, this in, in, and then I break my arm in practice. Wow. Um, and it was really auspicious because like the ball got kicked right to me. And it was one of those things like before the ball got kicked, I knew it was coming right to me. <laughs> so like, even before the ball was kicked, like I was like, Oh, I'm going to catch this ball and run with it. And then it was like a scrimmage where you're supposed to go, you know, we're training. So we're supposed to go like half speed right. and I run faster. Like I was putting more effort than was necessary or whatever. And so I get my ass thrown to the ground, stick my arm out, breaks both the radius and the ulna. Whoa. And then I can't play rugby. So, oh, I got to go to the district Republican convention. And, oh, <laughs> I can run for a spot on the rules committee. So the very first political speech I gave was uh, trying to run for, I ran for the rules committee for the state convention uh, with my arm in a cast. Yeah. And I got that position. And I remember driving to the state Republican headquarters as a 19 year old yeah. being lost in Des Moines. I didn't know <laughs> the difference between Sixth Street and East Sixth Street. Right. And um, so and, and then the other big step, just to fully answer the question, the next year following, um, I had a girlfriend who was a popular sorority girl right. and she got me involved in student government. And then so it was and she's was, you know, she's a hardcore Democrat now or whatever and, and was back then. But it was through my relationship with her and getting sucked into student government. I think that's what really uh, planted a seed in firmer soil, um, you know, to grow in this direction. Wow, that's amazing. And then how did so one also a thing that intrigued me was co comedy has been in your past as well. When what was your comedy timeline as being a stand up? Yeah, so that's been, I think, kind of like the ace in the hole and like sense of humor really being a, like a superpower. Right. I first, when I was in eighth grade, well, okay. So when I was in sixth grade, uh, there was a segment on the David Letterman show called kids scientists from Naperville. I was able to participate in that. And, oh, cool. um, so that was actually a national televised audience. And I was kind of a smart ass 10 year, 11 year old or whatever. And I got some lines and, and then they actually, uh, CBS, the, the producers, they later used my segment as an example of what not to do to future guests on the show. Mm -hmm. So that was like a first kind of big comedy debut where like after I did that thing, I was like the cool kid for a few weeks. And, um, you know, then the other thing that happened as far as stand up specifically, my brother, my older brother did a stand up routine for his senior like talent show at the high school. Right. And he crushed it. Like he had this whole, 600 800, it was like an 800 room auditorium at the high school 800 yeah. person whatever big is a big room and he crushed it and i remember just thinking he was like so cool yeah and then so fast forward i lose an election in 2014 and i start listening to the kill tony podcast and then <laughs> i remember start 
putting wheels turning there. Like, Oh, I would love to do one minute and get roasted by these guys, you know? And then the big thing that happened was I was working as a salesman for a solar power company and a really great company. And I was putting in like a lot of work and I thought I was doing everything right, but I wasn't getting like the results I wanted. And I was a commission only sales gig. So I was grinding for like four months straight, hadn't made a sale. Um, like my company started to look around like, Oh, what's this guy's problem? Why can't he, you know, he's got all these deals. Why can't he close one? And I was like reaching like serious financial stress and it was getting, I mean, personal financial stress and then stress with my relationship in the company. And it got like, so uncomfortable. I was like, I got to try something new. And so, and basically it was like a joke because it was like really pathetic. Like, like it was strange how I was failing and kind of, there was these patterns of self-sabotage. And so rather than being frustrated, I was able to like kind of make fun of it. And I created some emotional levity and I was out at the cafe and we were just talking. I realized I had some friends, you know, really going, they were laughing and then it was there. So it was from, from basically being on the brink of financial failure Uh is what led me to say, oh, screw it. I'll try stand-up comedy. So I went to the open mic and, um, the first jokes I talked about was about binge eating because that's what was happening in the company is I would. I would get so I would I would eat so much at night and it was a really really unhealthy habit and um, so I made fun of myself for eating away my problems and those were kind of my first jokes and that was how I started experimenting with comedy. So you kind of rode with that for like a few years or until you started running for the for the house or yeah so the 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 first time I got on stage I did really well at the open mic and then the next like five to six times you know, I had to learn more and yeah. kind of bombed, if you will, or just had to get more comfortable on stage and get car- more comfortable with material, learn what the audience responding to. So I made it like a habit. I made it like that was the most important thing in my life because work was still failing. So yeah. I go, okay, I'm going to do open mic every single week. Yeah. So I did it like 10 or 12 weeks in a row. Yeah. And then uh, our open mic has what's called a featured performer where they, sure. you know, the typical open mic spots, a 10 minute spot, then they right. have someone feature for 30 to 45 minutes. So just by virtue of showing up 10 weeks straight, Hey, do you want a feature? Wow. And then um, thankfully, cause I had done it 10 weeks straight. I basically just took, and I had the recordings that I was listening to myself. So I was able to take like my best jokes over those last 10 weeks and try to mesh them together in yeah. a 15 or 20 minute routine. Um, and then I kind of just progressed from there, kept with it. And then, and then, yeah, obviously when I started, um, running, running for office, it kind of shifted because a lot of my jokes would make people uncomfortable or I would, (laughs) you know, go there, so to speak. Yeah. And so it became a lot more serious speaking as a political candidate. Um, but I still attempted to do it in a, again, from a, from a way of like, making fun of myself from like my previous drug arrest or, you know, things like that, that just people weren't, wouldn't be expecting or might get some good buzz or chatter. Like, Oh my God, did he really just say that? Like type of thing. So I still try to kind of lean into that. And that's only why I turned it off. But now at this point in time, like I'm trying to get back into it and, um, and I I really would like to develop that further, but you know, I'm in, in rural Iowa Right. The open mic I used to go to, they've been closed yet for a year and a half. Right. They still haven't opened. Wow. They've been doing their open mics online, which is very difficult to do any sort of comedy online. Yes. Um, 
So yeah, that's, and, and I have some very thankful Cafe Paradiso in Fairfield. Some people really hate it when I say this, but yeah. I give them all the credit for my success because if it wasn't for that stage and that just basically that audience of just supporting creative expression, arts, culture, non-judgment. Yeah. I mean, it really became, uh, we talk about the Cafe Paradiso family and like all the artists coming together. It's like a kind of group therapy thing. It really is a beautiful thing. And uh, I'm just so thankful to be a part of it and give it a lot of credit for like, you know, my ability to speak impromptu on the house floor for 20 minutes. It's like, well, yeah, because <laughs> I've, I've roasted people and done crowd work at the open mic. So that has given me a lot of experience to work with. See, I would see you as like, just going, I would have you like go undercover back to like university of Iowa and get up at like homecoming weekend and be like, just oh, be like, wow. just, just introduce me as Jeff. And then when you go up there, like five minutes in reveal that, Oh, by the way, I'm an elected official. So, uh, like any laws, and then they wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, they wouldn't know. So that is kind of my shtick. Cause I have a little reveal. bit of a dead, a deadpan humor. I really inspired by Norm Macdonald. Oh yeah. And that's the other thing. Like, so one of my big shticks is we do the annual wiener dog race. Right. And I, I was able to get myself in charge of the wiener dog race. And then I just like take it extraordinarily seriously. <laughs> so like, I'm talking about the dog's biography. I'm talking about, Oh, these different dogs, you know, they don't get along so well. Or like, a, you know, and I'm like, just really seriously announcing the thing as if I'm a serious sportscaster on ESPN or something. Right. And everyone's like, Oh my God, is this guy serious? Like, is he this invested in a wiener dog race? And it's just that tension. If they don't know if I'm being serious or not yeah. is kind of my, my shtick. So, so, and then, oh, so that's goes hand in hand in your, your sauerkraut career, your sour, it says sauerkraut salesman. I don't know if that was something that came after solar panels. Yes. So what happened was, is I was selling. Okay. So I wanted to run for office in the summer of 2018, right? Because Young Americans for Liberty was getting their stuff going. And I knew, mm -hmm. you know, it was well. this, that was the thing is I remember I was writing, I was trying to write comedy jokes, but mm -hmm. I kept like wanting to write about like abortion or I kept wanting oh, to like respond to, well, yeah, like, yeah. from the, from the standpoint of like, uh, cause there was a lot of Facebook arguments on like Trump and stuff. And the idea of being able to carefully dissect issues in a way that could actually resolve or bring people together. Right. So like my mind, so I was like trying to write jokes and before I know it, I'm like writing a speech about gun control. And yeah. it's like, okay, I probably should be running for office if this is the direction my mind is going. Yeah. And, um, but my work was still, I, I mean, I made sales at this point. I, right. my joke was, I was, my joke would be, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a salesman. I'm not the best salesman, but uh, I'm not the worst either. But they yeah. keep getting rid of the guys on the bottom. So <laughs> yeah. it was like I wasn't climbing up the ladder. And thankfully, uh, so I, I, you know, I wasn't on the brink of financial catastrophe, but I wasn't like overflowing with success either. So in my mind, I was like, okay, I'll run for office as soon as I can close these three deals, you know, <laughs> get $15,000 of commission so I can have some money in the bank. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I never did it. So I never got those deals closed and I had to, I had to run for office anyway. So it was a little bit of a leap of faith. And then basically when I started running for office, um, I, 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 I the company, I tried to, I, I mean, I tried to do my work as best as possible, but, um, I, they just, the, I wasn't able to give the solar company the, the attention they needed. So they ended up letting me go. Um, the first week, I think it was the first week of October. Yeah. And well, actually prior to then I, I knew I'd wanted to call myself a sauerkraut salesman. Um, cause we had been going to farmer's markets and that was the thing I want. I said, 
hey, I w- I'm going to farmer's market with you. You don't have to pay me anything. I want to sell sauerkraut salesman. I, excuse me. I want to sell sauerkraut just so I can call myself a sauerkraut salesman. <laughs> like I, I wanted that. I wanted so- For the story. The resume, well, bullet point. Well, and the issue, the local food, this is a local organic food product. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're a small business. We're investing in small business, but we're investing in, um, you know, the Amish. We're getting our cabbage up the road. Okay. We're doing all organic ingredients. Um, this is a new flavor, like, and then the probiotic regenerative health type thing. Okay. Um, th- that's what's crazy. So then I get, I, all of a sudden, like I, I, so I hit on the sauerkraut stuff and it ended up like getting connected to like a lot of serious issues. So <laughs> there's this German guy reached out to me. One of the big political concerns in Iowa is like pesticides and right. agriculture. So okay. there's a chemical called glyphosate. Um, which is applied to a lot of oh, the Roundup stuff. Is that the Roundup? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this German guy sends me the scientific paper that he wrote. He was like some doctor guy. I, forget, I have to look up to my email to remember exactly. But basically, he was saying like glyphosate, even just the brine, could be used not just on humans, but like in soil to repair the micro bacteria in the soil to remediate against. Um, you know, cause that's the thing you, you spray the chemical on the soil year after year after year, yeah. like you need to repair that somehow. And, and so he, he was basically saying that, um, that a brine, that brine from some sauerkraut, that that can remediate the soil. So all of a sudden it's like, wow, cause this is an issue that is in my, what makes my community special in Iowa is there is a big you know, vegetarian, radical, vegan, very anti-industrial agriculture, you know, wanting more humane, uh, pasture-raised, grass-fed beef type stuff. So, like, that's a serious political issue. Like, yeah. we, uh, the anti-GMO movement, um, they, they, we did a lot of work back in the early 2000s or late 90s. A lot of the first anti-GMO scientists who helped pioneer that field came. Um, so one of the big employers in my town of Fairfield is what they call genetic ID, which basically does or uh, sustainability food labeling. You know, they verify, you know, they put the non G they help people put that non GMO label on their stuff type of right, thing. Right. Um, so they, they hire like 50 people in the office up the street. So, so anyway, um, that's a little bit, that's a snapshot of the sauerkraut stuff. I could talk about sauerkraut for another hour. Obviously, but, um, <laughs> that's a different podcast. I hope I'm making sense, dude. I am so delirious right now. <laughs> I barely slept this weekend. So I hope I'm just making I'll, sense and not coming I'll, across as like, I'll interrupt you accordingly. Awkward. It's all right. Okay, I'll good. I'll, I'll interrupt you. So the, one thing that's amazing about your history though, is like, I was looking up your ballotopedia because ever since I ran for office <laughs> and like lost by less than 150 votes from as a write-in, you in a legit election won by like 27 votes in like a district 37, 37 votes like yeah, don't sell me short i'm sorry now did you, he was the incumbent like do you and philip miller just hang out every two years and side here we go again or um do you guys you know what's sad so what? after both elections i reached out to him i've never actually had a conversation with him beyond an awkward hello oh. um after this time, I called him up the day after the election. I said, hey, I just want to congratulate you on running a good campaign, Yeah, which was being a bit facetious because the campaign was unbelievably negative. But um, I was like, hey, can we collect? Anyway, so, yeah, he was a popular incumbent, um, but he was basically your kind of your kind of rural country bumpkin, just going to sit, be a bump on the log, do what leadership tells you. And yeah. basically, I was able to hammer him uh, for ignoring constituent work from ignoring, um, you know, issues that were important to the community. So his predecessor, 
there was a bill about smart meters. Um, that was the big thing that we, we were upset at the power company. Right. His predecessor, the guy he replaced, was a good politician. He would go out. He would drive in the community. He was, you know, he would he would do the work and he would respond to constituents. So he introduced a bill on this smart meter thing. Yeah. Then the next guy, Phil, comes along and he doesn't do that. And he had people asking him to. Like literally all he had, the thing's already written. All he has to do, cross out uh, Representative Hansen's name, put his name. Yeah. He didn't do that. Right. So that gave me a wedge issue to beat the crap out of him. <laughs> and, um, and that was it. So the campaign was basically just convincing the three local women that were running the advocacy group, okay. which again, we're Iowa districts. We're not like you in California. We're, we're kind of minor leagues over here. So right. like 500 oh. votes is enough oh. to swing my district. It's and amazing. That, like, yeah, the same, you want even a little bit more this time around, like in 2020. Yeah. yeah. But, so. but this was it. It was, it was this key constituency of swing voters that were connected to basically concerns over electromagnetism mm -hmm. and just, you know, the FCC being dishonest or the power company not being forthright, right. a very obscure issue that most people don't care about. But to these 500 people, it was the most important thing. And, and, and that was it. So basically the campaign revolved around, I mean, that was the centerpiece is there was an advocacy group. It was run by three women, right. all Democrats. And I basically had to say, I, I showed up, I said, Hey, how can I help? And I just did that enough for a month yeah. or two straight to where I wow. earned their trust. Wow. And I go, okay, Jeff's doing a really good job. He's doing everything we want. Uh, yeah, let's vote for him in the state house to see if he can work out these issues with the utility board. And then we won. And then we got a good ruling from the utility board. So for the people who wanted to keep their antiquated analog utility equipment, a lot of them still have it. And it's not immediately clear if um, I can have credit for that because it was the utility board that made the decision. Uh -huh. But uh, we did have a productive committee hearing on the issue. And that's the thing is we won the election and then whatever, whatever. But the utility board did make a, a favorable decision to the petitioners in Fairfield that we counted as a legitimate political victory. And you, uh, do you find it like you're probably one, obviously one of the younger reps in the state capitol. Like, do you feel like more of like, a maverick or an outsider, because obviously one thing that obviously got a lot of people, you got a lot of attention to people that have, uh, I don't want to say the V word, let's say Vaseline for code. We'll say for the Vaseline word. Yeah. 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 You, you spoke about it like a few years ago, but now it's like Vaseline's gone mainstream. So yeah. now it's like, everything is all about that. It's like, you're shaming pro athletes. You're shaming like an ESPN. There's like Michael Irvin is shaming the Cowboys and the SEC Michael is shaming Irvin the teams. That? Yeah. Michael Irvin came out today shaming the Cowboys for not having 85%. And then you've got like the SEC commissioner shaming like eight of the 14 teams for not meeting a certain percentage of Vaseline intake. So I love using this word. This was my idea for months. I want to just use Vaseline and see what's caught. So like what from you bringing up something like this now, like how one like what drew you to this side of the issue? And then second, how do you put up with like the nonsensical um, trollish side from the other side about that? Like, okay. Yeah. That's, that's a, a great question too. I I, I, I try, I'll have to think about where to dive in here. Um, like how did, did you just... get drawn to this? Because obviously like a lot of parents get drawn to this because maybe their kids ran into something with Vaseline. And you, you know, you may not have, or it's not required in Iowa, where in California, 
I have a lot of kids here being kicked out after sixth grade because yeah. they need to get more Vaseline in seventh grade. So, I mean, I used to listen to Alex Jones and he would have Dr. Christine Tenpenny on. Oh, Sherry Tenpenny. Really like, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That's yeah. Like Christine Northway. She's Sherry been, Tenpenny. she's been, uh, you know, she's been the deplatform since from te- Twitter. Oh, and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, she was on the dirty dozen. The white house right. has a right. list now. Right. Um, so I like, I was aware of the issue a little bit. Um, that there was controversy or concern. Um, I had never gotten a flu shot, but like, you know, what my parents got me, I had the schedule growing up. Right. And I remember I would cry in the doctor's office and it was awkward. Um, so I was aware of the issue. I remember in the 2011, 2012 campaign, Michelle Bachman hit Rick Perry on HPV. So the first time I heard really about the issue is in a political sense was the HPV vaccine mandate that Rick Perry did. Um, so Gardasil came out and then I guess in Texas, they made that a requirement for, right. uh, on the schedule for girls. And then I think Virginia did the same thing. And Michelle Bachman hit Rick Perry on the debate stage on this issue. And this was at a time when Michelle Bachman was running, uh, right. had a lot of steam in her campaign in Iowa. So, you know, I, I first heard of that issue um, then, and I guess didn't really think much about it after the fact. Um, although I guess I know by then, you know, by 2015, I would have been pretty, pretty far crunchy, you know, crunchy compost, get your nutrition, you know, so I, I was been pretty much down that end, just a nature of like the Ayurvedic naturopathic health movement type thing. Um, but then it really wasn't until after I got elected that, um, I really learned about the issue. So, there was a group called Informed Choice Iowa that was right. first hitting the gr- ground in 2018. And I think and they, they were just sent- kicked off of Facebook. Yeah, you noticed yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Good. You're paying attention. I yeah. am. So, oh, yes. So they, they're off now and, and uh, we're trying to figure out exactly which rule they violated. Um, and I, it's fun. <laughs> I had shared their post the day they got kicked off or whatever. So the last post they made, I shared that. So I thought I was like next on the chopping block or whatever. Right. Um, but but Facebook just told me as of today, I have zero strikes on my account. Um, so they, so they sent out a survey and like, I gave the kind of just general issue, you know, that, yeah, you know, forcing someone to take a vaccine would be a violation of human rights, you know? And and so that was obviously the answer they wanted to hear. They weren't really a group that was in a position. They were just, just getting started as a grassroots group. So, I mean, they even, they even sent out the survey way late in the campaign, you know, so it was way too late to kind of make it a political issue. Yeah. Um, but then I get elected and early on, you know, I think I first meet them at the, we were going to like the governor's ball or something. And I ran in, I ran into Lindsay and then anyway, I just started learning from there. And as soon as I learned about the 1986 national childhood right. vaccine injury, Na- national Vaseline injury act, um, <laughs> I, I like, I didn't know that it existed. Right. So here I was, I was a political science guy. I thought I was smart. I thought I knew how the law worked. And here I am with this brand new topic. That's like, wow, I am completely ignorant of this. And I'm 30 years old and I had no idea about this. Yeah. I thought I was a smart guy. Clearly I'm not. So thankfully I was able to take in that kind of humility of like, Oh, what else don't I know? Um, so I was able to learn about that, uh, in this, so that organization helped provide me with a lot of interesting materials. Right. I started introducing bills on the subject. Once right. you write a bill on the subject, the other side starts to kind of interact with you. Yeah. And I could tell early on that they were completely kind of full of crap, that they, they weren't actually willing to engage or address 
um, these Vaseline related issues <laughs> or answer these people's questions. And um, so then I just got more sold from there. Mm-hmm. And then I attended the, they had a conference in 2018 that Bobby Kennedy Jr. came out to Iowa yeah. and, um, and just seeing him speak, he did, I don't know, an hour an hour. he was the keynote yeah. hour long speaker. Right. And I was just blown away by his, just everything he said, his intensity, his authority, his confidence. It was amazing. So I was like inspired and I was like, I, I want to be like that. Like, I want to yeah. be like, okay, this is America. Like, and this is, I thought the world was going to end in 2012. Right. So sitting in 2018, I'm like, oh, we're six years overdue. So <laughs> um, I'm like, okay, yeah. If America's in trouble, like this Bobby or this Bobby Kennedy guy, uh, he seems to got a good family name that's rooted in the history of America. That's a guy I can follow. Um, yeah. And then the more you learn about him, like the more cool he gets about like he had drug problems when he was younger, right. which makes sense because his father was killed. Like, of course, his life's not going to be normal sure. after that. But um, so I just fell in love with the guy and I wanted to be just like him. And so Have you ever met him? Have that, you ever crossed paths with him at all? Not not since yeah. then. So we had oh. that. We, I, I just I just kind of fanboyed at that 2019. Right. Um, thing. And he just, I said, Hey, what can I, he's going, he just said, keep fighting. And I didn't know what that meant until now. Um, so I haven't had any personal interaction with him beyond that event. Right. I have, I did have a good phone call with Mary Holland of children health defense. Right. Um, just get, I, I touched base with her on a legal issue and I was thankful she took 20 minutes to help, uh, talk through some things. Yeah. Um, so no, but, but that really drew me up and they kind of put me into the fight. Cause it's like, Oh, here's Bobby Kennedy. Well, one is like, there's like, at this conference, there's 500 people and 450 of them are women, right? Right, right. And, and then here's Bobby Kennedy. So he's like, he's like the alpha male leading this giant group of women. And all these women are like hot, right? Like they all take care of themselves. Yeah, it's like a Bon Jovi fan club trip. I know this as a Bon Jovi fan. When you go on the fan club trips, <laughs> it's like 95% women. And yeah, was- yeah. <laughs> so- well, it should be so. It was, this is so. There's a couple. There's this is important for a couple reasons. One, because okay, traditionally through groups like Young Americans for Liberty or like conservatives, um, it typically is overwhelmingly men. Right. Like that had been my experience as an activist on uh, our college campus when I was doing student groups. Like, if even one woman showed up, she would be mobbed by unwanted sexual attention because it was just way too many dudes, right. not enough women. And so it was like this libertarian circle jerk is what it basically amounted to. Um, So now this is the opposite where there's a lot of women. So it's like, okay. And and it's basically a libertarian issue, you know, the right to bodily autonomy or accountability in government. Um, So that was very impressive. Okay. There are a lot of women here. And then, yeah, they're with their, their, you know, mothers who take very good kid care of their kids, a lot of homeschool or alternative school, private school, like they're really just leading in their own way. Um, Like there's one woman, Sonia, who was a single mom homeschooling four girls on her own and and built up like a million dollar, um, you know, commercial enterprise for herself to do it all. Like, so I like, I just became really, really impressed by the quality of people and, um, just like the vendors, like every vendor at the conference was like, was a health product and effective thing. So like the bone broth and the collagen and the intermittent fasting and the, you know, anyway, so it's just, it was just people who really 
were really investing in their health, like in a yeah. tangible way that showed because they look really good. So it's like, okay, I want to be around the hot women. Like that's, <laughs> I don't that's know. Good. That was Sorry. my rationale. I want to be around the women because Bon Jovi is going to be out there or, you know, like why are all these women here and Barry Manilow's not on stage? This doesn't make any <laughs> sense, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's a good gender split, but I mean, also like, it's like they hurt their babies. So the Vaseline, well, yeah. Well, that's the larger thing. And so what is, ta- that's what I've been trying to, um, I had an emotional wellness coach named Nikki who really helped inspire this in me of really fleshing out this concept of feminine intuition. And like, what is it that, like, right. Like, okay. I, this is, I say this a lot. I say, um, the mother's okay. A mother's love, like a mother's protection of her kid. That's one of those powerful forces in nature, right? right? Like just think you, you, you cross between a bear and her cub, you're dead. Like you're not coming back. And you, you, maybe you didn't mean anything by it. You just misstepped, but you know, that mom is going to be unforgiving because even the illusion that you put, you put her kid in danger, right? That's enough to make a mom go ballistic and that's programmed into our DNA and that's programmed into women. And it probably right. like lives in the ovaries somewhere, you know, yeah. this kind of emotion. And then, and then further, I really love getting in touch with my Cherokee ancestry oh, and wow. Cherokee. Uh, they were a matriarchal society where women were in leadership positions that guided the domestic affairs of the tribes. And um, so anyway, I've been really just exploring that and just trying to figure out where I fit in. And I was like, okay, my job is to provide us. And again, from a non, I, I call them hot, beautiful, whatever. I, this, I, I've been nothing but respectful. Like um, all these women are married. They know that whatever, but my job as a man is to provide a safe, protective space. Like I need to provide a, a safe place for these women to speak up and raise their voices, you know? So that's like, okay, I can take the slings and the arrows, uh, but these women need to have their voices heard. And that was the thing is these women would speak up and you just know all the vitriol on the Vaseline issue, even pre-COVID. I mean, it started in California with the measles sure. outbreak in Disneyland. Right, right. So, as soon, and, and that's when I think we start. So in my, this is what I say. Uh, so anti-vax was, or excuse me, anti-Vaseline was <laughs> the period like that HPV mandate right. period. And then the autism omnibus lawsuit in the vaccine court. Yeah. Uh, I think that was circa 2008. Right. So that was like the initial anti-vax movement in modern American politics, as far as I can tell. And then a few years later came the anti-anti-vax movement, which right. was the measles outbreak in California and California taking away religious exemption and leading a lot of other states in that direction. Right. And then here I come in 2019 calling Dick Pan a medical racist, oh, excuse me, go. medical rapist. So I call myself an anti, anti, anti Vaseline. <laughs> and I know that's tough for some people to understand, but they just don't, they need to get more familiar with the political science. So now as you get on that side, what advice you say you'll take the slings and arrows, like how best do you handle it? Cause obviously you're posting stuff and whether it's because you got an R by your name or because you're white, like, how do you handle like if people just blindly call you, like if they call you, oh, supremacist or, oh, you hate science. Like, do you have advice for people? Like I, cause I start to stick my nose out like that when I ran and I got to meet you, like those hate bloggers after yeah. me. Um, and I had to block them in their, and their aliases. 
but like what like what keeps you moving when you know that that's going to be coming from the group think of that sure uh, medical no, so tradition that's a great question um actually i'm going to plug my phone in just yeah to make plug sure your phone can... in yeah thanks for sticking around too and and doing that yeah no that's fine you're asking really good questions um because like i got a guy where my other official interview was kevin kiley and they're, I'm like, how there's like 20% or 30% Republicans in your state. There's not even like wiggle room. How do you continue to fight where in Iowa, you, you have a little bit more leniency in terms of red versus blue, but still, you know, you're, you're getting in front of a very, it's an, unfortunately it's more of a partisan issue than it should be, but you know, how do you put up with all of that, all that commotion? All right, Jeff is about to charge his phone. Good time to break. So one way you can help support this podcast grow, and I really want to see it um, do great things as I as I talk to some great people uh, in the pipeline, uh, is you can support at patreon.com slash funnyevan. Um, that is where for, you know, as little as a dollar a month, you can just throw your support my way so I can, you know, carve out the time to get these guests to create the final product in a, in a good place. Um, keep creating the YouTube clips, the Rumble channel, the Facebook clips. All of that takes a lot of time and effort. Um, and, you know, it would just be uh, very helpful for anything. I mean, I have reward tiers. I can send you guys shirts. I can send you guys all kinds of stuff. There's title sponsorship. If you guys want title sponsorship for a month or two, um, that's there. So definitely check out uh, the podcast. More people are downloading it than, than ever before. And some of the videos have gotten like thousands of views just because of who I was talking to and who happened to be my Facebook friend. It's kind of f- f- freaky and crazy. Um, so just go to patreon.com slash funny Evan. Now let's get back to my talk with Jeff Shipley. All right, let me see. I got to figure out if this is going to work. Just a second. Um, it's all right. This well, is yeah, where so I would the, cut. Yeah, you go ahead. Oh, am I cut? Well, yeah. So the commotion, I'll just sit on the floor. This is weird. I just got to sit. <laughs> I only have a small, I, dude, I've been having such a hard time with these. Um, so I have an iPhone 11 and it's been really weird. Something's wrong with the charging port or something. Like it's right. having a hard time. So I got to like wiggle the thing just right to make sure this it's got to charge. This is where like us magazine will be like, they're just like us. They, they also have phone charging problems, state representatives. So this is a good angle. It's like day camp. Okay. So, so there's a couple of things. First is um, just really discerning people who are operating in good faith and those who are not. And if someone is clearly just coming from that place of hostility and it, it generally becomes clear relatively easily, you know, relatively early on, whether or not there's any value in talking to them at all. Um, Sometimes the value of engaging can be just to show other people. So this has been something I've been able to um, use to bolster my politics is like when someone else is freaking out online, uh, like about me, like sometimes I'll intentionally respond just to make sure it gets seen by more people Oh wow! just so people can see how hysterical some of these arguments are and how emotionally wrecked they are or whatever. Um, and, and so, but I'm trying to think on vaccine specific stuff. So it's, or even like just you speaking up on an issue where like, it's almost like sometimes certain issues come up where like, we're all going to say this and then they're all going to say this. And then we know that these insults are coming at us 
And like, obviously no one likes getting insulted, but like, how do you um, hold your ground knowing that the internet never apologizes? Well, okay. So the first thing is, is you have to be really solid in who and what you are and why you're doing what you're doing, why you're saying what you're saying. So um, when I first launched into this by calling Dick Pan a medical rapist, um, (laughs) which would be a great song or a name of a a rock band in Iowa. Well, so um, I, at first I was like, okay, did I, did I, I was like scared because as soon as I realized it was blowing up and be like, I had been, normally I'd been used to saying things. Right. And I say a lot of outrageous things that no one pays attention to whatsoever. Yeah, so yeah. I was just, I was assuming this was going to be one of those things that no one pays attention to whatsoever. Right. So as soon as it, as, as soon as I see it getting some attention, I was like, oh crap, did I, so thankfully I had a woman, um, uh, available at the time who was very unpolitical, but yeah. smart. And I go, Hey, I just said this thing on Twitter. Um, do you think that's appropriate? And she thought about it. She thought about it. And she goes, yeah, if someone vaccinated my child against my permission, I would feel as of, I would feel as violated as if yeah. I'd been sexually assaulted. Wow. So I, w- I just basically, I turned to someone who I knew would be a good barometer of like a rational person. Yeah. And I was like, does this comment make sense? And she's like, yeah, I think what you're saying is true. I think people can understand that. So that, so once I have that validation from like just someone who see, like, then I know, okay, I'm at least on reasonably solid ground. I can let this ride. So, right. so you let it ride, you don't apologize. And then I like to find kind of cute and clever ways to kind of clean up. <laughs> um, cause I do misspeak often. And so right. I, I is people think I do this intentionally. Now I don't do, I don't try to do it, but like, I'll say something a little bit too quickly or a little bit too colorfully, and then I'll, I'll wind it back a little bit. Right. Um, and it's not deliberate, but it kind of happens that way. And it really drives my opponents insane because that's the thing too. They take everything so literally. Right. right. Um, and, uh, did, did you see the thing about sucking toes? No. Oh, I should have sent it to you. Okay. Well, so this is the thing too, where at this point, like, I'm just thankful for the attention because it's again, like the living rent free in their head type of thing. Right. And the more I get attacked by Democrats, especially like the rabid ones. Right. Um, and the more I can withstand that, like it helps me within my own caucus. So the more I get beat, like whenever the Democrats go on offensive, the Republicans close ranks. And right. as Republicans, we disagree on a lot, especially me. I'm always stirring it up in the caucus. I, there's a lot of policy, dis- substantial policy disagreements that I have yeah. with my colleagues and we do fight about it. But as soon as the Democrats come on the offensive, you know, we kiss and make up and we close ranks. Right. And so um, and this in general, obviously, I think there are some Republican colleagues of mine who don't appreciate um, what I do or my, you know, colorfulness or whatever, Sure. but in general, but in general, just because how hysterical and unfair, I think too, that a lot of the, um, criticisms that, like I say, it's true. A lot of these people are not operating in good faith. Right. Um, and that the media is demonstrating that. So, I mean, that's the thing is if someone's coming at you in good faith, then yeah, I have all the patience in the world for that person. Um, I would say there have been very, very, very few people. I could probably count them on one hand or maybe two hands that yeah. have like legitimately said, um, hey, I, I just want to learn more about your point of view or like, you know, wanting sure. to have that 
kind of dialogue and, and then, and then, and then being able to agree to disagree type sure. of thing. Right. Sure. Um, so it's, it's interesting, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's no problem using the block button. I definitely do block people if they're being overly gross. Right. Um, like, and that's, so the, the, what is weird is like the people who kind of create the troll accounts. Like yeah. I've had people wanting to create spoof accounts, pretending to be me. Oh, okay. And then, and then other idiot Democrats in town actually believing the spoof account was me. <laughs> and like, so I have to be like, no, like this is like, that is not me. Um, that's just how like that's like that's yeah. the thing is like t- anyway um it's all like a circus and you just kind of have to navigate i guess well and, and mm-hmm. how did like for me i'm actually living it and that i'm <laughs> i'm seeing everything so from someone who has like a normal life how easy it is to get spun around how easy it is like when when i mean everyone's perspective is so different yeah. and that's what i think we all need to remember just to be successful is that everyone's perspective is different and like no one's going to see things the same way you do right just by the fundamental nature of you guys being different people so sure. um i think then also you kind of have to honor that too that if someone doesn't agree with you they might have a really good reason why so i always try to give that benefit of the doubt um as well obviously the vaccine issue has gotten so out of control but like on the gun control issue for instance right. like uh-huh. yeah I, I know this person you know, they had a loved one that uh, was a victim of gun violence. So I know it's, I'm going to be above and beyond respectful of of their position and why they believe that. And, um, and, and just leaving that space to agree to disagree as well, because that's the thing we we don't all need to agree on everything. You just need to be able to trust that someone's heart is in the right place and trust that they're going to give you, you know, an honest assessment of how they truly feel. And that's what I think people most want. So as long as I feel I'm offering that and that as long as that, even if I'm engaging in colorful language, that I'm close enough to the truth, yeah. then I feel like I can skate by and let the chips fall where they may. Cool. Cool. Okay. I'll let you get to a few more things and I'll let you go. Um, what, what have you learned, I guess, about our country or, or our society over the last 18 months in terms of responding to, to edicts and mandates and rules and like, what have you seen from the inside and the outside? I mean, you were, I, yeah. I admired you because you had the the speech on the floor about, you know, we just like seeing each other's faces. Don't you guys want to see each other's face or, you know, it was nice. We enjoyed that conversation. We smiled at each other. Like you were killing them with kindness. Like, but leading up to that, like here, when you mentioned the Dick Pan thing, honestly, like everything Dick Pan is being channeled through our governor and through the president right now, this is exactly right. what he would say is what's coming out of those outlets. But well, well and, sorry, go ahead. No, but yeah. But again, like what have you from being on the inside and also on the outside as like a citizen? Well, like, so what have you understanding discovered? this, that Dick Pan, he's just the puppet, you know, for the same kind of system that is operating through these larger political entities. So like there are, there's, and everything, but certainly politics. And because politics by its nature basically is, you know, a dog and pony show, a very scripted, polished presentation to present a certain image to the public. So the reality is typically way different than the carefully scripted, you know, scripted image for the public. Um, 
I mean, there's a lot of things that make me optimistic. There's a lot of things that make me pessimistic. Um, I was, I was a little bit more shocked how we've arrived in this kind of post logic world where, (laughs) um, facts and figures and kind of being able to rationalize or logically think things through doesn't seem to be, um, I mean, it was just gone, right? Like it's, at least from my perspective, and I don't know, maybe they say the same thing about me, but, um, but, you know, I, you know, I thought, cause that's the thing is where that's what I've been trying to understand. Like the, the different centers in the body from like the, our heart, like our, excuse me, our rational mind and how we're able to think and logically interact with the world right. versus like our lower senses of, um, you know, feeling and passion and fear and then how basically the human physiology works um, with the fear response and how when people are in, le- in a legitimate state of fear, like it short circuits their nervous systems to right. you know, where they, they, they really are just thinking about how they want to survive and they, they, they're not interested in entertaining anything else. I think the big thing is that um, America is undergoing a spiritual renaissance. Like I think one of the big highlights for me or silver linings is like, I never really prayed with my parents much, you know, right. we, we maybe did a little bit growing up, but it wasn't like a thing. Yeah. And, um, over the last year I've prayed more over the phone with my parents than probably our whole entire lives up to that point put together. So, yeah. um, like, and that might seem simple and small, but it, it's, it's just beautiful because it kind of just keeps the family connected. And for me, just, you know, being able to express honor and appreciation for my mother and father and just knowing that, Hey, you know, that our family is important. And, um, so it's not, it's not so much like the act of prayer necessarily, but the act of coming together as a family and supporting one another and just knowing that like, we're here for one another. So I think my family got closer together through everything. Um, so like, I think there is a spiritual Renaissance and I think it's because America was founded on this concept of religious freedom Mm-hmm. And because we have rebellion to tyranny in our national DNA, yeah. and when you look around the world, America really is um, the last bastion of freedom um, that America, these states, you know, in the Midwest or in Florida and to lesser extent, Texas, you know, mm-hmm. really are the places in the world that are living with the most freedom. Yeah. And I think from what I've heard, there are a lot of people around the world, certainly in places like Ireland or France right now, where they're or sure. Scotland, where they're facing these ridiculous vaccine rules, um, looking at America, be like, how can we have what we have, you know, and kind of really admiring that freedom. So mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing I learned is what American freedom truly means and how that differentiates itself from the rest of the world. And I think part of it also is also just our prosperity, like in, in different parts of the world, like in Chile, which has been locked down worse than California for a long time. Um, you know, they didn't even have the benefit of a stimulus check, right? So their government takes everything away and they don't even get a stimulus check because they don't have the money presumably. Right. Um, and if, so that's the thing, if you're in a poorer country, if you're less economically developed, I mean, being invested in politics is a luxury. Um, and, you know, being able to spend four hours on the CDC website to look through all the data, like that's just a luxury that a lot of working people don't have. Right. right. Because uh, and so. So, yeah. So being able to stand up to the government, being able to organize independently, being able to host a rally, a protest, a circulated petition, all that stuff comes from, I think, being economically prosperous by having yeah. our basic needs met. 
And, you know, people around the world don't have that in quite the same way or to quite the same extent. So I think I so I think I've been seeing like American exceptionalism really stand out. Um, and then hopefully, I think with these kind of heart centered leaders, have you been following that guy, David Martin? I he was in that um on the part two, stuff, I yeah. saw the part two stuff. Yeah, yeah. I saw his documentary. I'm actually Facebook friends with him. So maybe I'll interview him down the road. But well, yeah, uh, so yeah. well, so he's like ridiculous. And then I he did a Facebook post on his company's logo because yeah. he, he was being attacked as like a Freemason or something. Right. And apparently it was designed <laughs> based on the geometrical angles that are involved in like water molecules. <laughs> like, so this is a guy who like definitely seems in touch with um you know, the way life unfolds on the planet or whatever. Yeah. So there's been a lot of these very beautiful heart centered leaders from all around the world stepping up. Like mm -hmm. that's another talking point about these new generation of health heroes, about right. all these people who never cared about politics before, but all of a sudden see politics right on their front door in mm -hmm. their office and are stepping up now. Yeah. So like, uh, the other one, I love that Dr. Simone, or excuse me, Dr. Stella Emanuel. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Down in Texas. Right. She, I just laugh. I, I loved her. Um, I would suck her toes all day long. Um, she, yeah, I have uh, a friend had a photo with her a few days ago. I they saw her in the weekend. Oh, I forgot where they were. Yeah. Well, and he's just what a badass. And if you did, you ever go on her YouTube account? Uh, I see her Twitter. Her Twitter's been good. If well, she still so has it. I don't know. But you saw the CNN piece on her, right? No? no, I no, I just saw the original on the steps of the Supreme Court. So she, so she runs, she runs a ministry to the immigrant. She's an immigrant from Cameroon living in that Houston metropolitan area. Right. And they run a church. Basically it's a, a Christian for Cameroon immigrants, refugees, wow. you know, everyone. And so she uses a lot of colorful language and CNN tore her to shreds. And anyway, I just, I went in a phase about looking on her, um, youtube and her kind of sermons or whatever right and she would go off on like incubus and succubus and right. like demonic possession right. and um anyway i was just in love with her and um i just thought it was so great because like when cnn the this was, was so funny because it was right after the black lives matters protest right so for for the whole month of april you know we're being told that uh we have to trust the doctors and trust the scientists and then for the month of May and June, it's like, okay, well, we got to put black people front and center, you know, black lives matter. Yeah. And then, and then in July, we get this black doctor woman who's yeah. an immigrant. Um, Charismatic, who, very like stands out, you know, and has uh, experience with treating COVID patients that she had COVID patients that she had treated. So someone we should probably listen to, you know, I guess the thing it's like, uh, we should listen to her just because she's a black woman. We need to listen to her, but also because she's a doctor with frontline experience, maybe she has something really valuable to offer. And then CNN just craps on her mercilessly right. and just tries to make her look so crazy. Does right. the most, you know, shameless hatchet job you can. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Um, I just got, you know, she just, she goes, yeah. Um, she had some great quote, but it was basically, like, yeah, they can lie and slander me no matter what, but like my truth is going to stand above that. Right. And look, my ministry has all this new interest. I'm getting all these new subscribers on YouTube because they made that hit piece. Yeah. So like, yeah. that's the thing is, is, is these strong voices that are able to really turn that energy and use it to their advantage. Definitely. Um, one other thing I want to ask you is um, as someone in Iowa and as a lot of people leaving California right now, 
why would people should people consider Iowa to move to if they wanted to leave a state like California? How, yeah, so pitch, Iowa, pitch um, Iowa to us. Sure. I, well, how much time you got, buddy? <laughs> um, so Iowa's fantastic. Uh, you know, situated west of the Mississippi River. I think we became a state in 1856. Um, we've been ranked like number one by U.S. and World Affairs as like a best state to raise a family. Our cost of living is very affordable. We have a very diversified economy. We need a lot of workers. Uh, we definitely need healthcare workers. Uh, we're trying to we're, we're fighting right now to, to support healthcare worker freedom and just mm-hmm. medical freedom in general. Um, we were able to successfully make some progress in addressing um, some of the crazy antics of the teachers' unions. So we have our public schools will be full time without masks by state law. There will not be a mask requirement mm-hmm. in in our schools. Uh, we're still making progress on more school choice options. We have uh, a great homeschool law where you can homeschool your child and not have any interference with the government whatsoever. That's great. Um, We are working on continuing to reduce our tax rate. We have constitutional carry. um, So you're you're able to exercise your Second Amendment rights pretty good around here. A very low crime environment, a lot of fresh air, great natural parks, outdoor recreation. If you like hunting, fishing, uh, hiking. Uh, maybe our hiking isn't as good as Colorado, but we do have some great state parks. We have uh, Maquoketa Caves, Geode State Park. Um, Dubuque is beautiful. Des Moines is, is building a new kind of tech hub. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, my, my area, they, they called Fairfield Silicon Valley because we had a lot of high tech uh, businesses and like web developers, that sort of thing. Oh, cool. Like I said, we have that genetic ID lab that tests GMO food. So uh, we have a lot of, in my opinion, cutting edge businesses uh, with any luck, we'll be leading the psilocybin industry. Um, I know there are a lot of Iowans that are experimenting with psilocybin on their own, yeah. which I think is great. Uh, so we want to encourage that. No one needs to wait for the government's permission. Um, just say you're sorry and, you know, I'll represent you and we'll do your best to bail you out if you get caught. But um, that's the, most people are using psilocybin responsibly, that there haven't been any issues. Okay. I emailed um, the Department of Public Safety to or excuse me, I emailed the judicial branch to ask how many like psilocybin related arrests had been made in Iowa and they didn't have any figures. So that indicated it had been either very, very few or zero or whatever. So, um, and then we did do the back to blue bill. So, um, I think we're going to be relatively free from any sort of violent left-wing riots. Um, and then, yeah, just really wholesome community. I mean, waving to your neighbors and just being able to walk around barefoot without worrying about stepping on glass, you know, farmer's markets, the state fair, um, the county fairs. We have a wonderful county county fair, state fair culture. It's just wonderful. Um, and it's awesome. So, I mean, I could go on and on and on. I think reason to be fair, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, we still do have an income tax, which is something we're trying to fix so we can be more like South Dakota and Florida. Um, Our governor did technically have a mask mandate for a short period of time, but she wrote it in such a way that it was totally unenforceable. And she actually said that as well, that she wanted it to be unenforceable, that she didn't want to waste anyone's time with this. Um, So on most issues, our governor has led very well um, relative to the pandemic. And Do you have a good report with her? Do you have a good I'm report working on with her? So that was one of the things too. Like as a freshman legislator, I didn't quite realize how important it was to invest in those relationships. It's definitely the people higher up. Yeah. Thankfully, with the vaccine passport issue, um, I, I, I had three meetings with her 
in the month of April where we covered some good ground and got acquainted. And, um, and I've been more familiar with her staff and things. Okay. So I'm working on it. Um, (laughs) but, um, I I know she knows who I am and she did like one of my posts on Facebook and we had a really (laughs) great bill signing together. Um, so yeah, I I'm working on that and, and, and just how relation, those relationships are very, very important and how in all our relationships, we must give like a degree of grace because like for the governor's situation, like I, that was another thing I didn't quite realize how just stressful that must be when, you know, she ran for office and was elected, but she wasn't expecting to be the medical dictator during a health emergency. And by the nature of the emergency, no matter what she does, she's going to have a hundred thousand people screaming at her saying she's killing them, you know, like, and then of course, imagine all the other snakes when you have that much power concentrated in one person, I can only imagine the kind of snakes that are swirling around. And then the very real consequences, um, that her actions and decisions carry that. Yeah. yeah, You know, in that situation. So I just give her a lot of grace for just being able to manage all of those competing interests and basically like I said, we don't have to agree on everything. We're going to respect liberty to the greatest extent possible. But what's most important is that we can survive the winter in one piece because, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens, okay. uh, but uh, stay healthy, everyone. All right. Awesome. This, this was outstanding. Thank you so much for, for all the time. And uh, yeah, well, uh, thanks for sitting on the floor to make sure we take this one to the finish line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for asking great questions. Thanks for your following and your enthusiasm. And um, I'll get more acquainted with your work and I'll, I'll come back and you'll have to do my YouTube show <laughs> oh, no um, sometime yeah. in the future. So, so we'll talk again real soon, Evan. I really appreciate it. You got it. All right. I want to thank Jeff Shipley for coming on the podcast and give me his time so we could talk about everything uh, going on in his world of Iowa. And maybe you guys got some inspiration about that. Uh, we are at Awkward with Evan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, awkwardwithevan.com for every last episode. On the platforms, they only really show the last 100 episodes of the podcast, but on awkwardevan.com, you can go to back to episode one. And I'm going to start working on like a database where it'll be more easy, uh, easier to find all my past guests. But the last 100 are on all the iTunes and the Google Plays and the Stitchers and the Spotify's and the Amazons. So go there. Thanks for coming here. And I have more in the pipeline. And it will be fun. Stay awkward, because I will. Thanks for listening. Go to awkwardwithevan.com to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Now for Evan's mom to pick out his clothes for tomorrow. See you next time on Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. 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 Wexel.